Hello, my friends, and welcome to The Bible in Order, where we are chronologically going through the entire Bible in one year. Today's reading for September 9th is Ezekiel chapters 40 and 41. In the 25th year of our exile, 25 years. Can you imagine ministering for 25 years to a people who were displaced from their nation, displaced from their church, had lost everything? Many of them had lost all of their family members. They had all lost dear friends, people they grew up with, people they went to school with, people they lived around. They saw their homes and the city that they grew up in, the city that their great-grandfathers, great-grandfathers, great-great-grandfathers had lived in for hundreds of years. The place where they worshiped God for hundreds of years was being demolished. Could you imagine for 25 years ministering in such a place? The 14th year after Jerusalem had been captured. It's been a while. They're exiles. But God in his mercy and in his kindness, because of his love for his people, wants to instill hope. And so he takes Ezekiel. In verse 2, in visions of God, he took me to the land of Israel and let me down on a very high mountain. And he goes to describe what he saw there and who he saw there. I saw a man whose appearance looked like bronze. It's a very interesting wording in this translation, but I think it's even more clearing, more, more true to the original in the King James. It says, whose appearance, there was a man whose appearance was like the appearance of bronze. There was a man, actually that wasn't the King James, it was the New American Standards, I apologize. His appearance was like the appearance. And I think it's worded that way to show us that Ezekiel wasn't really able to adequately describe what he saw and what he experienced, but he wants us to know that. And so it wasn't just a man that he saw. It was a man who, who looked like a man in appearance. In other words, he was so much more than what I saw, and words just don't do it justice. That's what I get from that text. And in the man's hand was a linen cord and a measuring rod. That word linen is the same word used to describe the material that made up the ephod that the Levites would wear, the priests would wear. It's a pure substance. It was 100% cotton and nothing else. It wasn't like polyester and rayon and cotton. It wasn't this tri-blend that a lot of our clothing is made with today. It was pure. It's not to say that mixtures are horrible things or sinful or bad in any way, but there's a spiritual representation that this linen, this material that was used was 
pure, it was undefiled, it was 100% what it was supposed to be. The definition of purity just means undefiled, there's no foreign substance in it. The cord represents, I believe, the identity of this being, this man, whom Ezekiel saw. The same word used here as, or translated here as cord, is translated in Genesis in the story of Judah and Tamar. When Judah gave his staff and his bracelets and his signet ring to Tamar to prove his identity so that she could return to him and receive payment for the services she rendered to him. The word bracelets in Genesis is the same word translated cord here, and I believe it refers to the identity of this man, this living one, this person, who might just be the incarnate Christ, the Messiah, and then the measuring rod. It's a tool to measure. It gives us an idea of the length and the breadth and the height of an item. When you have a yard stick, what do you do with it? If something is supposed to be 36 inches long, you can hold up a yardstick to it and you know if it's accurate or not. It's almost like a picture of a scale when you go to the grocery store and you buy apples for $2.99 a pound. You put them on the scale and if the scale is accurate, you know that you are getting the amount of apples that you're paying for. I believe it's like God saying to his church to his bride this is what it's supposed to be like and i'm being very particular and i want you to see the outer wall and the outer court and the east gate and the south gate and the north gate and all of the different rooms and how tall they are and how wide they are and the volume of them and which way they face and how many windows and what the palm trees are inscribed and where they are, and the height of them, and all of those things, because it's supposed to be a very specific way. I have a very specific design for the way I want things, God says. And I'm showing you this so that you will understand that I am a God of order. I want it a certain way, and I've created you to fit into it, to be a part of it in a certain and specific way. And the only way that you're going to do that is when you die to yourself, you die to your own wishes, and you become who I want you to be. And when you do that, you will have true happiness. Jesus said he came so that we would have joy and have it to the full. It could also be translated abundant joy. This is the good news, friends. The good news is that we get to realize our true potential and our true identity in our, and take the place that was created for us to take. There is a job for you to do that no one else can do the same way or to the same extent that you can do it. And the truth and the beauty of the matter, the beauty of the truth of it all is that God created it just for you. This place, 
this calling, this gifting, it's for you. You have the ability to minister to people in such a way that no one else can. You have a distinct and perfect calling on your life that no one else can fulfill. And God says, I don't need you or anybody else. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need any of us, but he wants us. He wants us to walk in that calling for our own good. And as we die to ourselves, we become more alive to the calling that he has placed upon us. We deny our flesh and we become more alive spiritually. And we're able to walk in the calling that he's given us. And it's beautiful. And the more we do it, the more we love it and the better it is. And it's the more I can't believe I get to do this. My God, how he loves us. It's amazing. We attribute value to items based on how easy they are to obtain. We talk about the pearl of great price. Worth is directly proportional to availability. How easy it is to obtain something. And friends, we have cheapened the calling of God. We've cheapened it. We've said, just Accept Jesus into your heart. Repeat after me. Say these words. You're good. Move on next. We've cheapened it because we've limited it. Nobody really cares in the world because they don't understand how valuable it is. They don't understand how hard it is. They don't understand how exclusive it is because we've cheapened it. But if we were to reframe the argument and help people to understand that this is not about trying to get every single person in and let's widen the gate so that everybody can come in and nobody has to change. If we made it back to what it truly was, God has a very specific way of doing things everybody's welcome, but he knows not everybody will come in. Many are called, but few are chosen. But friends, when you are chosen and you choose him in return, that marriage of these two wills being combined, the one who is dying to himself and accepting the higher calling, it's a beautiful thing. It's glorious. There's nothing else like it in the universe. Chapter 41 talks about the inner structures, the wooden tables where the slaughter of the sacrifice would take place, where the sacrifice would be presented. The sacrifice is necessary because there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. And what's more, everybody wants to see the fire of God descend. But very few are willing to offer the sacrifice. Friends, the fire descends on the sacrifice. And as much as it hurts to give up the things we love, we are chock full of idols, and they're exposed when we are asked to give them up. It's been said, an idol is the thing you have to check with before you say yes to God. We all want to see the fire of God descend, but how many of us are really willing to offer up the fuel for that fire? 
give him your time, give him your resources, give him your idols, lay them all down, take your place in the kingdom, begin building, begin ministering. It doesn't have to be in a church. It doesn't have to be on the street and it doesn't have to be on the internet. It might just be to your family. You might be an intercessor. You might not ever talk to anybody about the things you pray for, but God wakes you up in the night to pray. You pray. Do it wholeheartedly. Fill your position because we all have a place and it's a very particular way that God is fashioning us together as living stones in this new temple that he's building. And how kind of him, how kind he is to allow us the privilege, how humble he is, the creator of all things, to let us choose whether or not we want to partner with him. But friends, he loves us so much. And what he wants for you is so much better than what you could ever possibly dream of wanting for yourself. God bless you, friends. Thank you for being on this journey with me. We'll see you tomorrow.